The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd by people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When he have found him, bring me word, that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that had seen at its rising preceded them, until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star and on entering the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for the country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, when I was a uh, 17, or growing up, my sister and I fought all the time. All the time. We were always at each other's throats, all the time. So when I was 17, it was 1997, my mother calls myself and my sister, who was 21 at the time, into her bedroom. I said, oh, great. What do I do now? Right? Great, I got in trouble again. Right? She's going to yell at us for something. She's lying in the bed, and she says, come. So my sister and I walk into the room. She says, lay down next to me. So we lay down next to her. She told us, I have been diagnosed with cancer. And at that time, we had no idea if it was uh, how serious this was or how much she, she had to live. And we were terrified, of course. And then she grabbed my sister and my hand. She grabbed them. And she put them together. And I'll never forget her words. She said, next. Take care of each other. 
You only have each other. No one else will take care of you. You are brother and sister. And when my mom did that, I, she revealed in a new way, and, and, I, and I learned the heart of a parent at that moment. Because all you parents in here, I think you'll agree. You desire your children to live as one, don't you? You want them to live in harmony, in love. And your greatest joy is to see your children together. And it breaks your heart when we fight, doesn't it? Breaks your, 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 your motherly, your fatherly heart to see your children at, at head, butting heads against each other. And I never realized how much it hurt my mom whenever my sister and I fought. And I learned that day. And here she was, literally, not knowing how long she'll have. And her priority was, make sure Brian and Michelle aren't fighting. Praise God, the cancer wasn't terminal. She survived and was over 20 years now and, and, and my mom's healthy as ever, so praise Jesus. But I learned something about the heart of a parent that day. Now imagine, Jesus said God is our father. God has a fatherly heart. His deepest identity is that of a father, of a parent. Therefore, if God is indeed our Father, imagine now from His perspective, when He looks at all of humanity, when He looks at all of, him, all of history of humanity, what do you think His fatherly heart says to Him? It breaks, doesn't it? Because if you look at the history of humanity, it is riddled with war, fighting, murder, death, greed, lust. So that from the perspective of a father, what do you think when he sees all of humanity killing each other? Do you think his heart breaks, fellow parents in here? Again, you have a unique insight, again, as parents, to the heart of a father. what is God going to do now then? To see his children fighting, how will he bring us together? How? That's a great question for parents in here who have kids who are also fighting. How do you bring your family together and to ensure that they stay united in love? In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he begins in a strange fashion, by the way. There's a word in here which he focuses on. He says, and I quote, You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, that it was given to me for your benefit, namely, that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Begs the question, what is this mystery that Paul talks about? Because that word mystery 
in the original Greek was mysterion. That's where we get our English word from, mystery. So it's very, very identical. He uses that word mystery just in the letter to the Ephesians seven times. And if you look at all of the letters, Paul wrote 14 letters. In all of those letters, he uses that same word again, mystery, a total of 21 times. So the idea of mystery is a common thread throughout his preaching. And what is it? Because mystery, properly defined, is the revealing of an unknown truth. A hidden truth. What is it? Because again, when you look at this perspective from precisely the eyes of a Jew, because remember, when we read sacred scripture, we must first look at it through the lens of a first century Jew. And then the richness comes out. In the first century, the Jewish people, knowing full well the Old Testament and their faith, they understood and they were waiting for God to do something. You see, when you read the prophet Amos, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Jeremiah, and especially in the prophet Isaiah, many of the Old Testament books, you see a common thread that God was saying. He was saying that in some future time, I am going to unite the entire world. All of the nations, all of the languages, all of the cultures. That it was precisely through the Jewish people now. The Jewish people. Why? That is why they're called the chosen people. Because God revealed himself to them in a profound and unique way. That the mission of the Jewish people now, through them, God would send someone, the Messiah, and to bring about now the healing rift that exists in all of humanity. The fighting children of God. And so all of the prophets said this, Amos, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, that God will do this, but how will it look like? So that's the context. Then all of a sudden now, here you have St. Paul preaching, who's converted to Christianity, and all of a sudden he's saying, this mystery I, re- I now reveal to you. And it is none other, my friends, that in Jesus Christ, God will do this miraculous work. That's the mystery. That in, only in Jesus, will God be able to finally unite all of his children now. And you see this profoundly here in the gospel reading. It said that the Magi come from the east. The Magi weren't Jews. They weren't Jews. They were from the east. And so it's believed they're from modern day, probably the direction of Iran, from, from that direction, from that far east. Here they come and they said they've been given, they see the star and they journey all the way to Jerusalem. And they want to see this newborn king. And when they finally travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they walk down there and they see this beautiful king and they said they do him homage. The three kings who now, which the church celebrates on this beautiful day of the Epiphany, represent all of humanity now. All of humanity. The Magi represents you and I. That God have finally, in Jesus Christ, with the, born, 
born as a, as a little baby, is the source and summit of the unity that God has desired. Do you see this? Why they journeyed all that way to see him? Why St. Paul would travel all over the ancient world for years, proclaiming, this is the mystery. In Jesus and only in Jesus are we healed. And then here's the amazing story too. It continues to unfold. Remember, on the last night before he was arrested, what did he do? He gave us the instructions of how to do the Mass. Notice that. He teaches us how to do the Mass on the night before he died. And we'll hear the language again. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. And he takes some wine. Take all of you and drink from it. Why? Do this in remembrance of me. For this is the blood of the new covenant. You see, my friends, that's the language, the new covenant. What a covenant is, why? When Becky and Sam will enter into the covenant of marriage, why the church uses that language? Because through their vows, through your words, a new unbreakable family will come to existence. The language that Jesus uses in the, at the Last Supper is the language of matrimony. Take this, all of you, eat, drink, for this is the blood of my new covenant. So that every time we receive the Eucharist, our union is solidified. And here's the beauty of the Mass, why I, I absolutely love our faith. You know, whatever church you walk into in this on a Sunday, wherever you are in the world, probably be in a different language, of course. But all the readings will be the same. This is the cool thing. And you'll feel right at, at home at any Mass you go to in the world, no matter what language. Because you know the rhythm of the Mass. Even though you don't understand the language, you know, okay, oh, we're at that part of the Mass. And all the readings, all one point, if all 1.2 billion Catholics went to Mass today, they would all hear the same readings. So if you can imagine, all over the globe right now, our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith are hearing the exact same words in whatever language they're, they're speaking. And is that every single Mass when we receive the Holy Eucharist, why I love the Mass and why it's not dependent upon how I feel. Even if I don't want to come to Mass, even if it's the last thing, if I drag myself out of, out of bed just to go to Mass, no matter how I'm feeling, the Mass is still the Mass. And even if I was the, the most vile, the most sinful priest in the world, which I'm not, I'm the holiest, right? <laughs> even I could be the most horrific, double-life-leading priest in the world. If I just do the Mass properly, it's still Jesus, regardless of the holiness of the priest. <laughs> regardless how we feel, regardless of anything, the Mass is still the Mass. Because at every single Mass, here's the beauty of it. At every single Mass, why the Mass is never boring if we understand what happens. When we receive the Eucharist in a state of grace, when we receive Jesus, we are united with each other in the most profound way. We are united with the billions of Christians that have gone before us. We are united with the billions of Christians that are not yet born. We are united with the billions of, of Christians now in heaven and all of the angels and saints. Whenever we receive the Holy Eucharist, again, regardless of how I feel, 
regardless of how my day is going. That every time we receive the Eucharist, the healing of humanity has been done. See the beauty of the Mass. You know, every couple years, the church gathers what's called World Youth Day. It's the largest, whenever it happens every three years, the next one is in Panama City. And whenever World Youth Day is called, so the, so the, Holy, the Pope calls for World Youth Day, all of the youth of the world are invited and we descend upon a city. Right? And every time this happens, it is the largest gathering of humanity. The largest gathering of humanity was in Manila when I believe it was around six million people gathered. This last one was in Krakow, Poland. And we were there, uh, we brought it from Sacramento. On, on, the, on the key night, the night before Mass with the Pope, we all gathered in an empty field. There was about three to four million people there in the field. So imagine this, in mind's eye. So imagine the Sierra Valley. So imagine Sierra Valley packed with three to four million people. In the center of it was an altar. We were having Eucharistic adoration. We were having what we just did before Mass. We had Eucharistic adoration with the Pope. The Pope was there. And we were all there. Imagine this in your mind's eye. Four million people kneeling in silent adoration. Silent. Four million people staring at Jesus in the Eucharist. And as I looked around at all these different people from all over the world, from China, Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria, Canada, United States, Mexico, Iran, you name it. All of the nations was present there. And as I looked around, centered around Jesus, I said, Jesus, I see what you're doing. Jesus, I get it now. I get it. Every from all over the world, surrounded by the Eucharist. My friends, the entire history of salvation culminates at this holy altar. This is the most important thing we do. And that is why with our families now, and here's a great challenge. Make Jesus Christ the center of your families. Becky, Sam, make Jesus Christ the center of your marriage. Make this parish Christ-centered. If your lives are centered on Christ, He will heal the rift between all of us, between your families, your children. He will heal the rift because the Eucharist is Christ Himself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.